0: So, oh, we are on chapter three of the paragraph by paragraph commentary for Miss McIntosh, my darling. Um, getting out here late because my not-so-nice neighbors decided to burn things. It smelled really, really bad. It should be burning here anyways. <sighs> but, okay, I did it a little bit differently. Um, I went through, <clears throat> which took me a lot longer than I thought it would. This is all taking a lot longer than <laughs> anybody thought it would. Um, I still have to get... Through it in under an hour, but I've gone through the chapter first and made changes and fixed stuff because you just need to, and nothing's right the first time you try and go through it. So um, I did that first. I feel better about it, so it should run a little bit smoother going through this. And I will be doing that from now on before I um, upload. And I'm hoping might be done by September. Well, I still have a couple of months even after September, October. Uh, so I could put out a new edition, but I will definitely have the edits uploaded in a new edition, not a new edition, but I will definitely have the, um, ebook updated with the new edits before I offer it again. And then if you already have it, don't worry if, as long as you've turned on the automatic updates in Kindle, when I upload the new version, you will automatically get it. So I apologize for that, but it's just me. <laughs> There's nobody else. It's just me. Um, chapter three. Character list is Vera Cartwheel, Georgia Miss Mac- Georgia McIntosh, Miss Georgia McIntosh, uh, Mr. Joachim Spitzer, Catherine Cartwheel, an Australian Bushman, and we have a mention of Miss McIntosh's brother Richard. The synopsis: After Catherine Cartwheel took to her bed, Mr. Joachim Spitzer hired Miss Georgia McIntosh as a nanny for Vera Cartwheel. Vera goes into detail to describe Miss McIntosh and how she is different from her mother. They are described as polar opposites. She is described as the ultimate example of a middle midwesterner or a middle westerner. Vera takes comfort in the qualities of Miss McIntosh being so different from the other adults, including her mother. Miss McIntosh is from Whatcher, Iowa, which does happen to be a real place, although Marguerite Young says she did not know that when she was writing the novel. Miss McIntosh deals deals with an Australian Bushman, and we learn a nugget of knowledge about Miss McIntosh's brother. Vera blames herself for Miss McIntosh's disappearance. Later on in the story, not right now, but all right. First paragraph. Oh, sorry, I'm crunching ice. Another description of the effects of opium on Catherine. Confusions, confusions, innumerable, my mother's life, that opium paradise from which I had escaped, for all those adults were like the shadows of grotesque puppets dancing on a wall, and none was responsible. So again with the shadows, everyone has this shadow to them. Next paragraph. When Vera was about seven years old, Mr. Spitzer hired a nursemaid to take care of Vera after her mother took to her bed. Here Vera describes Miss McIntosh and how different she is from her mother, Catherine. Miss McIntosh is repeatedly described as being left leaning as far as being concerned with social movements, the working class, and inequality. And this changes later on in the chapter. Marshall Marshall Hair again, Marshalled hair is a short wavy style hairstyle from the nineteen twenties. A satyr is a male nature spirit with ears and tail like a horse. This paragraph describes Miss Macintosh. There was only then, after all, to lead the bewildered child with her own dark problems of that childhood, which groped toward light, one who could be trusted not to change her mind or her moral principles, one guide who seemed quite sure of herself, if of no other being and no other body, Miss Macintosh, my darling. More descriptions of Miss Macintosh, where Catherine is always still Miss Macintosh, oh, there are, next paragraph, there are more descriptions of Miss McIntosh where Catherine is always still, Miss mcintosh is in constant motion. Next paragraph, Young was well versed in Christianity and the different Christian esoteric occult practices that had sprung up. So when one sense young is describing Christian philosophy, that one should be open to listening, accepting God's word, but not question his authority. Miss mcintosh is explaining gratitude, living the the simple life, that innocent people sleep well and deep, that every day should be lived as if one does not expect to wake up. Then goes on to say, Because death is so final, so consuming, there is nothing that comes after it. That implies no one in heaven has faces and there is no heaven. After death, there is no impression left, which was symbolized by Miss McIntosh and Barrow wiping the sand. Nothing on this earth keeps an impression of a person after death. Miss McIntosh did not believe in things invisible or in. Improm- Promising ways which could never be realized by poorest mortals here below. Perhaps not even by God who had God's limitations, who had not created everything. He had left many things uncreated. We'll find out why later. Taken from a website source All About God, see references. God's omnipotence has natural limitations and self-imposed limitations. That does not mean he lacks the power, but that God chooses not to act. Um... Next paragraph, Tyrian purple, also known as Tyrian red, is a reddish purple natural dye secreted by snails. It involved substantial labor, so the dye was highly valued. Limpets are a group of aquatic snails. This paragraph has a more detailed description of Ms. McIntoshner's character, and it's along the Protestant work ethic, the Calvinist work ethic, or the Puritan work ethic. It is a work ethic and concept in theology, sociology, economics and history that emphasizes that hard work, discipline and frugality are a result of a person's subscription to the values espoused by the Protestant faith, particularly Calvinism. The phrase was initially coined in 1904-1905 by Max Weber in his book The Protestant Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. Weber asserted the Protestant ethics and values along with a Calvinistic Calvinist doctrine of asceticism and predestination gave birth to capitalism. The novel is supposed to examine the culture of the Middle Westerner in the USA. It is defined by the Census Bureau as Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Michigan, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, North Dakota, Ohio, South Dakota, and Wisconsin. At the end of the paragraph, Ms. McIntosh's politics come to the forefront again where every person should have enough of the basics in life, food, clothing, housing. There is a clear line drawn between Vera's mother Catherine and Vera's governess Miss McIntosh as two polar opposites of each other and the major influences in Vera's life. Next paragraph. More delineation of how Miss McIntosh is completely different from Catherine, how she is hardy and hale and doesn't feel the need to protect herself from the honest elements. Miss McIntosh, the end, is extolling the benefits of being in nature, and this has also been proved through research. Next paragraph A chink in Miss McIntosh's armor is that she does not like to be indoors, confined in small spaces, and even Catherine's mansion is too small. Next paragraph Miss McIntosh is described as being at home in nature, understanding, like indigenous people, that nature is a spiritual context. Nature is sacred in the natural. Place of man in a spiritual ecology. Spiritual ecology is an emerging field in religion, conser- conservation, and academia, recognizing that there is a spiritual facet to all issues related to conserv- conservation, environmentalism, and earth stewardship. Her prayers seem to be throwing something into the departing tide. Miss McIntosh seems to Vera to be placating it, and Vera wonders why. Um, paragraph 9 Miss McIntosh goes out in any weather. Her signature outfit is a black umbrella, a waterproof hat, sea boots, and a Macintosh. She seems to be, which is a waterproof coat. She seems to be contemplating her praying at the edge of the shore. Paragraph 10, Miss Macintosh thought that useful work for the benefit of others and strenuous physical exercise and self-forgetfulness prolonged one's useful life. She only acknowledged the necessity of one life, which had its beginning and its end. She did not fall for the illusion of idle dreams. Hmm. Trying to fix something here. There we go. And would not have been happy even if her dreams came true. She would remain her sensible self, with her mind unclouded and her mind unconfused. This is a stark contrast to Vera's mother, Catherine. And the last, par- last part of this paragraph is McIntosh's philosophy could be compared to the Amish Quakers or Shakers. The Amish have a significant population in the Middle West and are known for simple living, plain dress, and a reluctance to adopt many conveniences of modern technology. Um, they they also educate their children up to the, I believe, eighth grade. And then they are apprenticed to work. God's uh, chapter 11, I'm oh, sorry, paragraph 11. God's business had never been ours, perhaps had never been God's, and all men were alike, certainly, and there was not much room for the individual, for those who should lift up their heads from the foaming waters of the dream and imagine themselves as other than they were. This is similar to a Japanese proverb, the nail that sticks out shall get hammered down. The following sentence seems to warn people not to rise above their station. The next sentence brings to mind the proverb about idle hands being the devil's workshop the dark prince charming who should carry me away and rescue me from this dark tower. So instead of a prince charming who comes to the rescue of a damsel in distress, we get a dark prince charming and a dark tower, and also it involves an old trope, dragons prefer princesses. Miss Macintosh then refers to herself as Rapunzel from the German fairy tale, like the princess I would let down my hair and he should climb it as if it were a rope. Vera foreshadows Miss McIntosh's true state that she knew not of this nor of anything else which had never happened, just as she knew not my thoughts now. Miss McIntosh offers advice on how to deal with grief. We should not nurture our grief at the breast of sorrow, for the breast of sorrow was empty and grief was was no creation. Grief was nothing of which one should be proud, so we must be cheerful. The five stages of grief are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. All the characters are grieving about something in the novel paragraph 12 miss mcintosh prescribed exercise for herself and vera when historically women were considered too weak to engage in strong physical activity good for her miss mcintosh believes humans were not meant to understand god god moves in a mysterious way is a christian hymn written in 1773 by william cowper from england was written by cowper in 1773 as a poem entitled light shining out of darkness the poem is likely is the likely source for the phrase God moves in mysterious ways, although the first line of the poem actually runs God moves in a mysterious way. The poem, the last hymn text that Cowper wrote was written following his attempted at suicide while living in Ol- at Olney. His understanding never should be ours. Perhaps God's understanding never had been God's. The reason I'm mentioning Cowper and, and uh, his attempt at suicide is because there are several characters in the book that are contemplating suicide or attempting suicide. There's a lot of suicides in there's a lot of talk about suicide in the book, which which we'll get into more detail later, follows the line of absurdism. Paragraph 13. Miss McIntosh shares more advice. Everything had been put into its place. The proverbial notion is the idea that everything should have somewhere to be stored and that it should be tidily returned there when not in use. Apples fall downward, not upward, not even should there be those golden apples of which my mother dreamed. The golden apple is an element that appears in various national and ethnic folk legends or fairy tales. Order was better than disorder, certainty and self-control better than wildness, and one finished task should be preferred to a hundred started, the ways of dissipation of the dreaming mind, which forgot so much. Truth was this bare simplicity, this unequivocal distance from one point to another point. As well as stoicism in this last part, Margaret Young was also well acquainted with utopias and would have known about the shakers and the quote by Mother Ann, hands to work and hearts to God. Paragraph fourteen. Miss McIntosh shares more advice. The easiest way with was the coward's way, the path of least resistance, and it was very broad and smooth and well paved. But the path of the brave was narrow and girt by thorns, and it was lonely. There being gr- there being great solitude for man. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. Okay, but the path of the brave was narrow and girt by, by, up, girt about by thorns, and it was lonely. There being great solitude for a man was seldom good. This seems to be a rephrasing of the Bible, verse Matthew 7:13. Vera is being taught to develop a good character, so that in the after years, in whatever situation or condition of life I might find myself, I would be self-reliant, no laggard, no dreamer morassed in a bed of dreams, and my house would be well kept, and I should make my husband happy, content to stay at home and warm his feet at his own fireside, not to chase after every skirt, every illusion. There has been important feminist criticism of marriage, including the effect that marriage has on individual liberty, equality between the sexes, the relationship between marriage and violence, philosophical questions about how much control can a government have over its population, hmm, the amount of control a person has over another, the financial risk when measured against divorce separation, and the question of the necessity to have a relationship sanctioned by government or religious authorities. There's also the emotional labor and management of the house that has been and is the unpaid work of mostly women. Vera says that their lessons were only about the correct facts, the correct time. Time is a huge thing with Ms. McIntosh, especially the calendar. Oh my gosh, there's a big thing about that later. Ms. McIntosh talks about the social injustices that have been dealt with. See references for a history of coal mining in the United States, the coal mining massacre America forgot, the case of reparations, the case for reparations, Diamond mining in Africa, clear timeline of the United States labor history, brotherhood of sleeping car porters, and history of the trucking industry in the United States. The reason that I've put all that in there and why is that not here? Oh, because these are all the social injustices that um, that Ms. McIntosh is saying we have dealt with. We have looked at these and we have dealt with them. Um, And the history of it, especially if you look in the labor history of the U.S., it's really bloody. So um, and um all of these things uh go towards those social injustices that she feels have been dealt with, or addressed. Paragraph fifteen. Miss McIntosh shares more of her philosophy. The shadow created the light, but the light created the shadow. There would be no light without the darkness. One was not better than the other. Perhaps no light, but its own, was needed by an honest mind, for the light which came from within was the only light by which to steer our way it behooved us at all times to be simple and direct with our minds made up and our conscience clear and our shoulders at the wheel helping those who were not the children of fortune the relationship between light and darkness has been commented on from Saint Augustine of Hippo Lao Tzu and the Tao Te Ching and the Baha'i Faith every character has some sort of shadow and Miss McIntosh seems to be saying that both are needed except if you have an honest mind Paragraph 16, soporific means causing or tending to cause sleep, dull awareness or alertness. And in this case, luxury. A Mandarin in China was a bureaucratic scholar in the government of Imperial China, Korea, and Vietnam. A pagoda is a tiered tower with multiple eaves common to China, Japan, Korea, Vietnam, Nepal, Myanmar, and other parts of Asia. Most pagodas were built to have a religious function. Stygian, refers to the river Styx of the underworld in Greek mythology. Whirling Dervishes, also known as the Mevlevi Order, is a Sufi order that practices whirling as a form of dicker or remembrance of God. Ms. McIntosh is described as a flat-footed Middle Westerner. Why they need to speed down my street, I have no idea. I have an incredibly short street. Um... However, Miss McIntosh had an interesting opinion on Catherine. Vera feels that Miss Pac- Miss McIntosh did not speak against my mother, only that she spoke against unstable imagination and feverish delight. For a child should simply respect its parent, being in no position to judge of the adult sorrows. Of those sorrows, bringing our gray hairs. Miss McIntosh waxes on about possessions, much like in the Christian Bible: "Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things." From Colossians 3:2. Miss Closians? I don't know. Miss McIntosh says, this life being so short, so earnest, so full of woe, that one should not place his faith in earthly things, for all would fade, and nothing would endure, whether it was silver or gold, just as the waters closing over the head of a drowning man would keep no memory of him. Winged strome is any of one of various species of marine bivalve shells in which the hinge border projects like a wing. God had doubtless put us where He had intended at least as far as was possible, and that he and that we should not leave our place. He also intended for He had never left his Miss Packintosh draws from the Bible and the book that she prefers, which is Pilgrim's Progress, which is another quest book that is within this Miss Mackintosh, my darling also the um, this idea this idea is a recurrent theme over and over again is that this hammering home and at the very end uh, i'm i'm surprised i'm skipping to the end i won't okay never mind i won't say that um but this idea is recurrent through the whole book that life is so short and when you're gone you're gone and death is so long it's forever it's eternity Paragraph 17, Vera admits that Miss McIntosh was no beautiful lady, that her feet were too long and long-toed, that her hands were too long, that her nose had been broken in a traffic accident and never correctly mended, she having gone to no doctor. This paragraph contains strains of eco-socialism, an ideology that generally believes the expansion of the capitalist system is the cause of social exclusion, poverty, war, and environmental degradation through globalization and imperialism, under the supervision of repressive states and transnational structures. It also suggests simple living, which encompasses a number of different voluntary practices to simplify one's lifestyle. These may include reducing one's possessions, generally referred to as minimalism, or increasing self-sufficiency. Simple living may be characterized by individuals being satisfied with what they have rather than want. Paragraph 18. Croesus was the Greek king of Lydia, renowned for his wealth. These things dreamed by those who had already too much, those who owned enough stocks and bonds and real estate to sink a battleship. The theory of the leisure class is a treatise on economics and a detailed social critique of conspicuous consumption. Thorstein Veblen, who wrote the book, explained it as the spending of money on and acquiring of luxury goods and services to publicly display economic power in order to attain or maintain social status. The black-winged angels of mortality falling into the sea could be from Revelation 8, 8 which talks about an angel blowing a trumpet that causes a mountain of fire to be thrown into the sea. Ms. McIntosh did not approve of end-time theology. Little she cared for these end-of-the-world visions staining the atmosphere, for though they had been mentioned in the Bible, certainly they had appeared in the end and not in the beginning, and they had not been intended for daily life. She thought it was better to begin a task we would have time to finish. Macintosh seems to be referring to arete or the act arete? arete, or the act of living up to one's full potential. The paragraph ends with a question: Is the chi- is it the child who is old? Hi, hummingbird. Well, sorry, I scared you off. Paragraph 19: The sands of time is an English idiom relating the passage of time to the sands and sand in an hourglass. Ms. McIntosh talks about the short life of man, the present moment, was the shining one, also the dark, and we knew now all we would ever know, it was her opinion of misery or happiness, all we would ever need to know. We must not waste our lives in the vain expectation of that which might never happen, and had never happened, and was impossible, and would not be good for us if it did happen. This is a rephrasing of Matthew 6.31-34 seems to be, she was sure that we'd get our just rewards and our unjust punishments upon this old earth itself, or if there was some afterlife, then we should not anticipate it by running toward it, by running toward the unknown." Ms. McIntosh is expressing a view of people who created their own heaven or hell here on earth. A song by The Temptations, You Make Your Own Heaven and Hell Right Here on Earth, is a parallel song to this sentiment. Kiss the rod means to accept punishment passively. We were the nestless birds. Maybe a reference to Matthew six twenty six thirty four, or so I thought then. Not yet understanding the origin of life, not yet understanding time or eternity of the shadow or even the shadow of Miss Macintosh with her face lighted by fireflies. Margaret Young used fireflies and lightning bugs interchangeably in the text. The only reason this interested me is because when I took a lingu- linguistics class in college, um, the use of fireflies and/or lightning bugs uh, is it like a demographic for I don't remember which. I think lightning lightning bugs are in the north and fireflies are used more in the south, something like that. Um, Miss McIntosh is laying down the philosophy of life for Vera. However, the last sentence foreshadows that this philosophy of Miss McIntosh is not complete or a shadow. Paragraph 20. Miss McIntosh believes God doesn't want anything fancy, and God was rather an old harness maker an old harpooner or a simple carpenter, she supposed. If she must speak of God and things not seen. Old earth was simply good enough for her, and nature was so splendid. God is referred to many times in the book as an old, some kind of old profession or a great one. And it's another euphemism for God. And it's used repeatedly. Mr. Spitzer tends to use great, like some kind of great carpenter, great uh, something, uh, profession. And whereas Spakotosh uses old. Again, science backs up... Uh, backs this up that being in nature is good for a person and that even phyto phytoncides in wood essential oils can boost the immune system of course in the next sentence miss Macintosh tempers the statement and is true as long and is true and this is true as long as nature was not too luxuriant too overgrown a morass of flowers and tangled weeds and tiny seashells the last line is most last lines of marguerite young's paragraphs packs a punch saying in the past is completely closed off to us even in memory and the hard way which closed behind us which provided no way of turning back of walking twice in the same path of living once again in memory like you can't go back you can't even go back in memory and she uses this quite a uh, young uses this quite often and it seems to be a quote and it follows uh, philosophy of Heraclitus there's a Greek philosopher that no man ever steps in the same river twice, for it's not the same river, and he's not the same man. Paragraph twenty-one. Miss Macintosh is sure life was intended to be a challenge and not a bed of roses, and we were given our opponent in order that we might struggle with him and overpower the darkness, or else go down in it. This is reflected in many pastor sermons on Sundays, I'm sure, and is a famous quote by. And there is part of a famous quote by many, Pacquiao, a boxer. Life was meant to be a challenge because challenges are what make you grow. The difference between that and Miss McIntosh's uh, statement is that she leaves the room for the possibility of complete failure. The text The next sentence is broken down because there are many references in it. She believed in accepting the plain reality as it was, not in self-indulgence, in those corrupting dreams of incorruptibility. Ms MacIntosh could be pushing against Catherine or also the Bible verse 1 Peter 1: 123, explaining that people are imperishable through the word of God. The sentence continues with, of what was never possible to the poor, the starving, the cold, those who died but once, those who could not afford to die twice. Ms. McIntosh identifies with the poor in that they cannot afford to make mistakes, therefore dying twice is only a luxury of the rich. Famous quote by Raphael Giordano is, Your second life begins when you realize you only have one. But this is a realization not everyone can have because of their social or life circumstances. Ms. McIntosh sees this as making false promises, false hopes, false pleasures. Instead, she nurses a wounded seagull back to health. Asphodel, Asphodel, Asphodel Meadows is a section of the ancient Greek underworld where ordinary souls were sent to live after death. Of course, it is a garment worn to hold and train the torso into a desired shape, traditionally a smaller waist or larger bottom for women. Admiral Dewey was Admiral of the Navy, the only person in the United States history to have attained the rank. He is best known for his victory at the Battle of Manila Bay during the Spanish-American War with the loss of only a single crewman on the American side. There was no heaven, but there was earth, surely, and we were put here to be tested. Christians often point out that we are tested by God. This earth was but a testing ground for us all. And by this, she means animals as well as human beings. Man was but a broken shell. Woman's heart was folly. The idiom broken shell of a man, the idiom broken shell of a man means that his spirit is broken and he is empty. Proverbs 9.13 says, folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. Miss Macintosh, my darling, is a philosophical quest into the classical meaning of life through the lens of a young girl coming of age story. A link to the internet, A link to the Internet Encyclopedia of Philosophies and the references at the end of this chapter, because there's just a whole lot trying to pick out what I think is in there. There's just a ton. It would be helpful to brush up on your philosophy history. And I there are so many wormholes that I went down going through this book (laughs) looking for stuff. It's it's unreal. Um, Young also stated in an interview that she was a classicist and reader of St. Augustine paragraph 22, Ms. McIntosh continues that earth was the testing ground and there was nothing but the test. Time was not getting to be wasted in vain pursuits, such as that of false knowledge, the argument as to how many angels might stand on a needle's point. This argument has lost its theological context and is used as a metaphor for wasting time, debating topics of no practical value or questions whose answers hold no intellectual consequence, while more urgent, urgent concerns accumulate or whether a camel shall enter through the needle's eye or a rich man through the gates of heaven as a metaphor used by Jesus in the Talmud and the New Testament well in the New Testament Ms. McIntosh prefers action and for others not just ourselves every shining moment must be filled with action ideally for the good of someone other than ourselves for each life has given little time was given little time the rushing of the days and opportunity knocked but and opportunity knocked by once at the door of the sleeper the idiom has several entries in older scanned books from 1907, 1914, and 1917, Opportunity Knox. This thought is contradicted later in the book, and Miss Macintosh talks about how she worked in orphanages and an asylum for the blind and other play and for the mad, but she did not like the work. And we must not be tempted by useless dreams, even when we were sleeping and could not summon our dreams. And we must not be tempted by vainglorious riches, by slothful ease. Ms. McIntosh seems to have taken cues from Teddy Roosevelt's The Strenuous Life Speech, given in Chicago, April 10, 1899. Graven images are from the Ten Commandments in the Bible, where believers are not to worship anything that is earthly as a reputation of God. All of this testing, according to Ms. McIntosh, is so that we may be proved, and the truth was better than the lie, even should the lie seem truer than the truth. Every lie contained the seed of truth in it, no doubt, but ours was the freedom to make a choice between the truth and the lie and the truth and the truth, to do what was good and right, leaving no uncertainty. The following has been quoted in similar ways by Einstein and Jung. Jung. We must prepare ourselves to live in the service of others. Paragraph 23, at the beginning of this paragraph, Ms. McIntosh is always preparing for the worst, which makes her a realist pessimist. Realists think they're seeing the world in the right way, but they could be mistaken because of bias. In spite of the circumstances which surround us, poverty was still our barefaced lot. There is now research on how poverty affects the brain. If she changed her schedule, if she suddenly interrupted one task for another, that also was necessary and part of what she had intended so that she was never wrong. She was always right. This way of thinking has two side effects, isolation and loss of health, which in the following sentence is confirmed. she was surely she was surely no one who would have encouraged the intimacy of strangers much less of friends and she had no friends this contradicts how miss McIntosh sees herself a hearty visitor surely upon this lonely shore as should be quite obvious a gregarious and social-minded woman who had been connected with various institutions a lighthouse for the blind asylums for the orphaned the feeble-minded the mad the idiotic with their mouths foaming a home for old sailors on shore leave which would be long or short as god intended Although we are asked about her past, Ms. McIntosh does not go into any detail about her past until the end of the book. When reading Marguerite Young's work, it is important to keep in mind that she explained, my theme has always been paradise lost, always the lost cause, the lost leader, the lost utopia. Paragraph twenty-four, sloth of despond is a fictional deep bog in John Bunyan's allegory *The Pilgrim's Progress*, into which the protagonist Christian sinks under the weight of his sins and a sense of guilt for them. Vera does not understand what Miss Mackintosh's guilt is until I saw her plain. The last sentence is foreshadowing of the reality of Miss Mackintosh's person. Uh, paragraph twenty-five. No one knew her past, and all that house where the past was always present and her marks were never revelation, and in future time would seem the darkest, the most obscure. It is impressive that Miss McIntosh was so convincing in her character, was so confident in her demeanor, that no one questioned her background or intentions. She knew nothing at all, apparently, of the necessity of self-destruction. These cold, dark, negative things of life, these self-aggradizing denials of reality, the flight away from the heart of life. And this is in contradiction to what actually happens, and we actually get a good picture of that at the end of the chapter also her surroundings being in a house of illusions delusions and dreams did not affect her and she appeared to be the essence of reality and common sense ms mcintosh represents reality for marguerite young's themes about reality and illusion and the american striving for utopia paragraph 26 she has, she was neither a highbrow nor a lowbrow but just as she was pleased to admit a plain middle brow a middle westerner trying to steer her middle course between these jangling rocks and that was life Was she not doing her best, steering true as only a single, simple-minded person could, keeping her head above the waters and ignoring these whirlpools of implications? This is the epitome of what Miss McIntosh represents in Marguerite Young's books. This is a novel about the Middle Westerner, and Miss McIntosh is the representative of all that symbolizes. Young ends this assertion with a question mark, though. Nothing can ever completely symbolize something, and even if we think it does, it is just our construct, our myth, our collective hallucination of what we think that means paragraph 27 she would be repelled by fools and dreamers and liars for what were they to her this woman who is so plain so far from beautiful so obvious no one to mystify a dreamer or listen to second thought more description of miss macintosh the epitome of a middle westerner also last line of the invisibility of people like miss McIntosh, who are plain who do not inspire who no one gives a second glance and you get descriptions of a lot of different people especially with mr spitzer of just homeless people um and itinerants I need to work on this paragraph. something real quick i will forget okay uh, paragraph 28 Serge is a type of twill fabric that has diagonal lines or ridges on both sides made with two up two down weave Miss macintosh is described as plain and simple in her dress at the end of the paragraph we get a glimpse of her as she's aging in a foreshadowing of miss macintosh's end again the last line about her invisibility in the world if however as the years had passed she had become slightly less conventional at least in those unimportant matters the externals "'wearing as often as not, both indoors and out of doors, "'a whaler's hat, her muddy sea-boots "'to which the seaweeds clung, "'her patched Macintosh faded by softened wind "'and rain and surf, its hemline uneven, "'all its buttons lost except one, "'its pocket sagging because she had carried so many rocks. "'Perhaps as ba- ballast, as she would remark, "'and perhaps some day she would sink "'like that ship which sank at it, of its own ballast "'in a quiet harbour, sinking without a sound. "'It was only because of the isolation of her situation.' The fact that, as she might have said, so few people saw her. Paragraph 29. Miss McIntosh compares the Bible with Pilgrim's Progress, which she prefers, or read, read aloud from a book good for the growing soul, such as Pilgrim's Progress, which she preferred to even the Word of God, for the Word of God was that which should be taken with a grain of salt. It was that which could be subjected to so many contradictory interpretations and laid over with so many human exaggerations. The angels falling, for example, into a dark sea like this sea, Whereas old Bunyan was fairly safe, even though not altogether trustworthy as a guide through this great wilderness, this mortal life, which was a path of thorns and very narrow and very uncertain. So the angels falling, for example, to a dark sea like this sea, I guess she's talking about, I didn't think of that before, but I guess it's like she's talking about the fall of of Satan, of Lucifer, Uh, um, whereas Bunyan was fairly safe. Vera would read the book, Pilgrim's Progress, forwards and backwards, and Miss McIntosh did not notice. Antiphon is a short chant in Christian ritual, sung as a refrain. The sins we committed were worse than those of omission. It had been her plain opinion always, and she would argue with the world's greatest preacher if she knew him. A sin of omission in Catholic teaching is a failure to do something one can can and ought to do. If an omission happens deliberately and freely, it is considered a sin. As a matter of fact, she would have abjured all learning— excuse me, but what pertained to fact. Miss McIntosh's opinion seems to mirror Amish schooling, which goes only to the eighth grade. It is done this way because anything past this is abstract and not necessary to Amish life. She thought very little of all this higher education, anything that did not bear on use for this world was a harsh place. Paragraph 30, Miss McIntosh talks about the two pennies with which she used to say her eyes would be closed when she was dead. Charon's obol is an elusive term for the coin placed in or on the mouth of a dead person before burial. Greek and Latin literary sources specify the coin as an oval and explain it was used as a payment or bribe for Charon, the ferryman who could fade souls across the river that divide the world of the living from the world of the dead. Miss McIntosh believed America was normal and hoped that Vera would see America first for the normal life was the only one worth living. Interesting. And there's, uh, there's a, a, the tavern landlord at the end of the book who is the opposite of that. Uh, paragraph 31. Miss McIntosh hails from Whatcher, Iowa, a small town like any other, as she frequently pointed out, and no different from its neighbors. In an interview, Young said she had no idea. I lost my place. There was a real town by the name of Whatcher, Iowa. She thought she had made it up. The rest of the paragraph is how people feel... As the rest of the paragraph is how few people see Miss McIntosh while she is employed as a nursemaid. She believes the servants and Catherine suffer imaginary or mental problems, while Miss McIntosh was only concerned with actual physical problems. She could not have understood a merely mental sorrow, that arising from no physical source or caused by a cause so small it could not be located at a glance she better understood the broken bones the actuality of a physical trial which had not been anybody's wish or desire the trials of the courageous spirit and she was impatient with all else and with all these visionaries these thinkers of sad and empty thoughts It was like people think themselves into depression or i'm not sure so miss and it's it's very different because yes ms mcintosh's problems are physical very much so and Catherine problem, Catherine's problems because of her outward beauty and her being born into a um, wealthy family and even marrying and being able to take to her bed because of her mental uh, issues. So Ms. McIntosh, after all is revealed about her in her previous life, even though she has little sympathy for Catherine's life and how she is simple, and how she's able to simply retire to her bed in hallucinations, thereby escaping reality. Paragraph 32, oh, my neighbors are burning again. Okay, uh, well, well, we're not almost done. We are close to being done. The only person who paid attention to Miss MacIntosh was an Australian bushman, and this starts the side story of an unusual man who ends up a guest in the house, in Catherine's house. Australian bushmen have a complicated history within the Boer Wars and Australian military. It also refers to men who spend most of their life in the outback of Australia. It does not usually refer to Australian indigenous people. But in this case, it's it's confusing. The Australian Bushman is, is like a mix between New Zealand and Austra- Australia. I don't know. Her Meyer was a headhunter. He was an Australian Bushman wearing a loincloth, great hairs growing in patches out of his mottled skin, his wild curls hanging like tangled weeds around a very primitive, broken, pockmarked face, which yet had, in spite of its strength, a peculiar delicacy, like something ethereal and far away, something which should disgust her. Catherine entertained this bold headhunter, there were no headhunters, and just to be clear, there were no headhunters in Australia, but there were in New Zealand, very close to Australia. Miss McIntosh describes him as being just semi-civilized. He seems to suffer from delusions, like Catherine, which was another reason Miss McIntosh disapproves of him. Paragraph 33, Miss McIntosh complains the Australian Bushmen had never experienced the religion of Whatcher, Iowa, where there were no great images or ornaments or vestments, where God was worshiped in a building of plain walls, such as befitted God or out of doors, their baptisms were total immersion in a cold or ice bound stream, and sometimes the baptized were drowned, and funerals were simple matters, the dead burying the dead until there were no more to bury. There is an old order river brethren in Iowa with religious practices similar to the Amish M- Mennonite. Immersion baptism is a method of baptism where the person baptized is immersed completely underwater, unfortunately. There are new stories even into this century of people, children, babies dying from baptism. Later in the story, Miss McIntosh says something similar happened to her and that she went under and no one noticed she didn't come back up. Young also wrote extensively about utopias or planned communities, see her other work, Angels in the Forest. The paragraph goes on with Miss McIntosh's outrage at the Australian bushman. Later in the story, it is these sort of men that Miss McIntosh comes in contact with, so it makes sense that she would rebuff this man she believes is just another derelict liar like all the rest. Ms. McIntosh believes they cannot stay in the same house together and one of them must go. Apollo is an Olympian deity in classical Greek and Roman religion and mythology. Psyche is a Greek story about the overcoming of obstacles to love between Psyche and Cupid or Amor. A Roman roof is made of overlapping roof tiles that is water, waterproof and durable. Diana is a goddess in Roman and Hellenistic religion, primarily considered a patroness of the countryside, hunters, crossroads, and the moon. She is equated with the Greek goddess Artemis. Bushwhackers, bushwhacking, was a form of guerrilla warfare common during the American Revolutionary War, American Civil War, and other conflicts. Christian missionaries seek to spread Christianity to add new converts. Miss McIntosh says the Australian Bushman sat all day at my mother's shadowed bedside, talking to a mad, sick lady who supposed her head was the only world, that nothing existed outside of her and her inflated imagination. To Miss McIntosh, this description of Catherine taints the Australian Bushman as well. Liar, bird is a ground-dwelling Australian bird, most notable for their ability to mimic natural and artificial sounds. Australia has held a bachelor's and spinster's ball in rural areas since the 1880s, where single men and women can meet and mingle and hopefully find long-term relationships. Examples of an old Ritz menu, extrusion mirror, and ivory comb can all be, all, can all be found on the internet. The paragraph ends with an implication that the headhunter could be given the outward appearance of civilization. However, this would be a disguise because Miss McIntosh believes he is dangerous to women. Paragraph 34. Her head had never yet been turned by earthly flattery or even by the divine truth. Even though Miss McIntosh doesn't like him and spurns love of self and others, we'll learn later that that, that has not always been the case. The headhunter does figure her out enough to know what to say to appeal to her in these last lines. <clears throat> Paragraph 35 is interesting that the headhunter focuses on her head, given what follows in later chapters. This also highlights a man's feeling that he has the right to interrupt, surprise, and corner a woman when he is interested in her, no matter how the woman is feeling. In feminist literature, this behavior can be identified as a man who feels he is entitled to deserving and owed a woman's attention, irregardless of her feelings. He is the hunter, and she is his prey. Chapter, uh, paragraph 36, nothing had outraged her sense of the fitness of things so much as this, that a headhunter should be in the same house with her, that he should exalt himself above all other headhunters. Eskimos are indigenous peoples who have traditionally inhabited the northern region from eastern Siberia to Alaska, Canada, and Greenland. In Greek and Roman mythology, Charon is the ferryman of the Hades who carries souls of the newly deceased across the river Styx and Acheron At- 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 that divided the world of living from the world of the dead or Acheron. Um, Psyops to the ancient Greeks. Hufu was an ancient Egyptian monarch. Okay, Psyops to the ancient Greeks was an ancient Egyptian monarch. Oh, I have Khufu there. I'm going to take that up. Saint Simon. Oh, I think I know why. Saint Simon the Stellite was a Syriac Ascetic saint who achieved nobility for living 37 years on a small platform on top of a pillar near Aleppo. Daniel in the Lions ay, Daniel in the Lion's Den. Daniel 6:22 tells how Daniel is saved from lions by the God of Israel. Appian Way is one of the earliest and strategically most important Roman roads of the ancient Republic. Saint Augustine and City of God is a book of Christian philosophy written in Latin by Augustine of Hippo. I think it needs a capital. Georgian architecture is the name given in most English-speaking countries to the set of architectural styles between 1714 and 1830. Spode Chinaware is an English brand of pottery and homewares. Delft is a city and municipality in the province of South Holland, Netherlands. He talked too much of the dead and had no feelings at all, apparently for the living, or only the most corrupt feelings, and thus this headhunter's passion for a higher intellectual knowledge had seemed to her always, if she might say so, a bit too personal. He drawing all things into himself as if he ate them, and yet could not digest them. Ms. Mactosh explains how she would deal with the headhunter, and that she was not afraid of him. Not even when he said, growing more personal, that he would like to close his eyes and touch her head with his fingers, dreaming that hers was the most beautiful head he had seen in creation, that hers was a head out all others, and one which should go far, that she had a greater imagination than anyone who lived. This same phrase is echoed by a phrenologist who visited her school. It's a person who studies the shape of the head or deter- thinks that the shape of the head determines a person's capacity. When she was a child. At the end, the headhunter is obs- at the end of the paragraph, the headhunter is obsessed with miss Macintosh's head and uh, keeps saying she has the greatest imagination when she <laughs> imagination when she herself is saying that she is utterly real uh, or the exact opposite opposite uh, paragraph thirty seven she knew these men how soon their flattery would die even at one blow. It will become clear later in the book how she has come by this knowledge and experience of men. Her own dear brother had disappeared among these gaping cannibals. Thomas Baker was a Methodist missionary in Fiji and is the only missionary known in that country to be killed and eaten. Her own dear brother had gone out as a primitive Christian bishop from Iowa to convert the heathen of the Easter Islands. A bishop is an ordained, consecrated, or appointed member of the Christian clergy. Easter Island is an island and special territory of Chile in the southeastern Pacific Ocean. It is famous for its nearly 1,000 statues called it was populated by the rapanui people and current research contradicts the theory that they were ever cannibals plutarch was a greek middle pla- pla- platonist 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 philosopher biographer essayist and priest at the temple of apollo oh, coronal, coronal? is a historic building in rome italy it was it has housed 30 popes four kings of italy and 12 presidents of the italian republic pantheon is a former roman and temple not a catholic church in rome italy in this paragraph it is interesting miss macintosh should object to the australian bushman which from her description seems to be referring to aboriginal australians the various indigenous peoples of the australian mainland and many of its islands learning too much also aboriginal australians were not cannibals however some tribes may have practiced ritual cannibalism of deceased relatives miss macintosh believed that if the headhunter was christianized then he needed to stay in his place and help convert others to christianity rather than take part in the civilized corruption or the world that Catherine, Bear's mother lives in. Once he's gained this religious standing, converting from barbarism, cannibalism to Christianity, to to be surrounded by rich, educated, at least in the classics, refined ideas, people would then throw him back into barbarism. There's a lot, uh, which is, so there's a lot, that's her, that's her um, reasoning for, why, for how, why she feels this way about him. Paragraph 38, Miss McIntosh saw no merit and wealth, but only the untold virtues of poverty, of deprivation. St. Teresa Margaret gave the following counsel, always receive with equal contentment from God's hand, either consolations or sufferings, peace or distress, health or illness, you're just supposed to accept what's given. Ask nothing, refuse nothing, but always be ready to do and to suffer anything that comes from his providence. There was to be a great change in the affairs of men, however, she was profoundly cheerfully convinced that things could go, not go on forever. So even though this is so she's saying the opposite, there is no merit no merit in wealth, but only the untold virtues of poverty, of deprivation. But on the other hand, she was proudly, cheer- proudly, cheerfully convinced that things could not go on forever, that these illusions and self-deceptions and errant luxuries must all be stripped away and the past, buried like a bad dream no one had ever dreamed and no one remembered. Miss McIntosh seems to be considering revolution, the idea that enough is enough, and there would be an equalizing between the haves, have-nots, and a stripping away of the old order for the new. There would be no servants, neither real nor imaginary. Paragraph 39. In this paragraph, Ms. McIntosh seems to be mulling over the philosophy of impermanence or Panta Ray or becoming. In Western philosophy, it is most famously known to, through its first appearance in Greek philosophy in the writings of Heraclitus. Panta re is translated as everything flows. Heraclitus was famous for his insistence on, ever, and on an ever-present change as being the fundamental essence of the universe. No man ever steps in the same river twice. Paragraph 40. There must be, in fact, a revolution, a great change. She would always say so, for nobody could afford to wait for evolution. Darwinian evolution is a theory of biological evolution, stating that all species of organisms arise and develop through the natural selection of small, inherited variations that increase the individual's ability to compete, survive, and reproduce. What had God done? How should God answer for God's omissions? Miss McIntosh often questions what God has forgotten to do. You'll know, find out why later and hear more about it. God's was the strength of the unicorn. In Numbers 23, 22, and 24, 8, the Bible speaks of the strength of a unicorn. Ms. McIntosh goes on to say that God had not brought his people out of Egypt. Therefore, revolution was the only answer, quick and sharp, for what was necessary was a great and overwhelming change, which should sweep away inequities, the dreamers and the dreams, which should kill the dreamer and the dream. Okay, I forgot a quotation somewhere in there. Okay, we're going to go with that. In political science, a revolution is a fundamental and relatively sudden change in political power and political organization, which occurs when the population revolts against the government, typically due to perceived oppression or political incompetence. Honesty was surely, and it had always been, the best policy. This phrase has been attributed to Sir Edwin Sandys and Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson. Miss McIntosh goes on to talk about inequity, for inequity should have an end even as earthly princes, and inequity should not be found in our lips nor in our hearts nor in our eyes which had looked upon inequity. The mystery of inequity should no more work when the laborer should be paid for the sweat of his brow. Miss McIntosh rails against lying and deception in any form, but we will find out later that she is the epitome of deception paragraph 41 but yet it was obvious that what she meant was not the left wing of which so many fine things were said by my rich mother not the right wing that which poor mr spitzer would sometimes seem to embrace if only for the sake of a continuing argument but something more immense an honest point of view the whole bird all souls are equals all men as brothers and alike miss macintosh seems to be saying she is a centrist politically and not left or right centrism 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 is a political outlook or a specific position that involves acceptance or support of a balance of a degree of social equality and a degree of social hierarchy while opposing political changes which would result in a significant shift of society strongly to either the left or the right you can see the references for a discussion on the political spectrum in history if she is a centrist as she believes that flies in the face of wanting a revolution since that is not what a centrist would want centrism has Centrism has a specific meaning within the Marxist movement, referring to position between revolution and reformism. Paragraph forty two, Miss McIntosh under a black umbrella, sometimes with a handkerchief placed over her eyes, would seem to be waiting for the last tide, the waters whirled at her feet. This foreshadowing of Miss Macintosh's death would be an argument with that to live you need to build defenses against death. Paragraph 43 Miss McIntosh had felt like she was running out of time because she was going to commit suicide by walking into the sea. This parallels the author Virginia Woolf, who committed suicide by filling her pockets with stones and walking into the River Ouse in March 1941, only several years before Marguerite Young started writing this novel. Paragraph 44. Who but I had been responsible for that last decision which she made? Though my heart should nearly stop with this grief, great grief of mortal shock, who but I had killed her? While it is common for people to blame themselves for not being able to stop a person from committing suicide, later in the book there is a traumatic event for both Vera and Miss McIntosh that unfolds before Miss McIntosh's death. Paragraph 45. Why had Mr. Spitzer, after only a few preliminaries, refused to trace her, but that, as he had solemnly said, she was the heir to nothing, and for whom should he search?' Mr. Spitzer explains that without a body there is no death, so at best all they can say is that she disappeared, that he spotted her in the dregs of the city, and that's likely where she returned. A lamplighter is a person employed to light, and maintain candles, or gas streetlights. Although lamplighter is only mentioned three times in the novel, there are around 23 Bible verses and two literary novels that feature a lamplighter as a major character. The language used in describing a lamplighter is someone who holds dreams and stars. And Mr. Spitzer especially talk goes on about lamplighters. And also, there's like a great lamplighter. But who would know her when he saw her and who remembered her as she was? The last line ends in a question that no one would recognize or remember Miss McIntosh, even if they saw her. Later in the story, Miss McIntosh agrees that she is able to change her appearance completely so no one can recognize her. Paragraph 46, we must save her mortal clothing for her body when she came as for the body of reality. As to the shock of her death, no man knew, unless it was Mr. Spitzer, the hour of his death. Death sent not always its harbingers. They were fortunate who died without a warning, sometimes without even a tap on the shoulder. Mr. Spitzer also saved her two pennies in case she came back to claim them paragraph 47 mr spitzer shared his description of miss mcintosh and that he never looked into her qualifications as a nursemaid she had surely been at the first glance a woman after his own heart even after the heart of no other man for he would always say when she was gone that he had always felt though timid though keeping his distance a tender regard for her a very genuine fondness increasing with the years and now like a dark whirlpool blowing around his heart Paragraph 48, Mr. Spitzer continues his attraction to her, and the paragraph ends with, Two people did not seek each other out in a crowd for no reason. Life was reasonable even in its finest moments. Even accidents had their rationale. Ah yes, perhaps it was she who had recognized him, though he did not know her and would not know her if he saw her again. Paragraph 49, last one, Mr. Spitzer describes beating Miss McIntosh in front of an employment office and hiring her on the spot. And there had not been a moment's rapturous doubt in his mind, which was usually of two opinions. Chapter ends with Mr. Spitzer's final description of Miss McIntosh. She had been very fine, she being all he had supposed she was, and somehow qualified, as could be seen at the first glance, and as he had sensed immediately for a position he had had in mind, and she had not disappointed him, for she had been a good, dependable woman, he always would insist, even when she was no more, when possibly she was dead, that she had never changed, that she had never wavered as to her original intention. Okay, next, pair, next one is short. I don't know what to do because there are chapters that are a hundred paragraphs long. And I hadn't wanted to break this up, but I might have to. Darn. I might have to cut some stuff out. But you can see how much stuff there is. There are even sub things we could have gone into to greater detail just just within the chapter. Just within a paragraph or something that was mentioned. Oh my gosh, it's just too much. There's just too much. Okay, thanks a lot for listening. See you for the next chapter. Bye. It's short.